Episode 73 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on April 9th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Armor sets, weapons, and mounts. Oh my, the spring cartel market sale is happening right now. I'll have details for you just ahead. Eric Musco and Charles Boyd have been busy making the rounds of late. I'll tell you what they had to say to fellow influencers, Swotor Central and Volk, about Game Update 5.9, 5.10, and the upcoming expansion. Finally this week, I continue my story project as all eight heroes come together on the seedy world of Nar Shaddaa. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 73 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. Normally, I start with announcements, but I don't have any for you today, which is fine since I've got a lot of news to cover. So without further delay, let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. I've said it before, the cartel market is the straw that stirs the drink. And as much as people like to curse its very existence, I believe it's vital to the survival of this game, and I think BioWare does too. On April 3rd, BioWare began its first ever major cartel market shopping event. Almost every item available from the cartel market has been put up for direct sale. We're talking dyes, weapons, mounts, armor sets, companions, tunings, flares, anything you can think of except decorations. While there are some decorations up there, it's not nearly the volume that people hoped for. As for why that is, according to Eric Musco, it's apparently a feature, and by feature I mean technical limitation. Here's what he said on the forums. We definitely share your interest in getting more decos on the CM. I will spare you the details, but simply put, most decos weren't originally built in a way that we can easily place them on the market. It is our goal to have all CM decos be available on the market in some form, whether individually or in a bundle, at some point in the future. Hopefully sooner than later, we just couldn't get them ready in time for this sale. Now I work in software development when Eric tells me things about builds and branches, I know what he's talking about. But when I read stuff like this, I honestly don't get it. I know software development is a lot of smoke and mirrors, but I read this and I think, do you guys hard code all the things? Because this doesn't make any sense. Despite the lack of decorations, there are many great things available for sale right now, and some of them, like the armor sets, are reasonably priced. The Revered Master's armor set, which which is the film-era-style Jedi robes, is only 1,440 cartel coins. That's not bad. Other items, like plant platinum weapons, will cost anywhere from 3,000 to 5,100 cartel coins, which is a little on the high end, but if your credits are sparse and you have coins to burn, it's a great way to get a cool item like Senya's lightsaber or the Tithian lightsaber pike. While you can find a lot of things for sale, not everything is for sale. The Dark Legionnaire's armor set is conspicuously absent. Now the sale does run from April 3rd through the 17th, so it's possible they may add some more things in the final week, so you might want to save a little for week 2 of the sale. 
One thing they didn't do that they absolutely should have was run this in conjunction with half price collection unlocks. What's the fun of getting all this cool swag if you don't have enough left over to make it available for all of your characters? Definitely a missed opportunity here. Now I know what you're thinking, all of this feels like a doomsday sale, but that's really not what this is. There's plenty of content coming down the pike. We've got 5.9 in May, and then we're looking at 5.10 and maybe 5.11 before we get the next expansion, which will be 6.0. And how do I know this? Well, that's because Eric Musco and Charles Boyd have been doing the rounds lately. On March 30th, they sat down with Sam from SWOTOR Central, and then on April 6th, they interviewed with Volk. Both SWOTOR Central and Volk were able to get some great information from Eric and Charles. In their interview with SWOTOR Central, Charles Boyd confirmed that 6.0 will be the next expansion and that it won't come after 5.9. He also gave a little information on where the story is headed in 6.0. This is what he told Sam. We've got the story in 5.9 coming out in the beginning of May, and that's going to conclude the whole Theron Traitor story arc and also put a capper on all the Eternal Throne-related activities for the most part in terms of being the focus of the story, and we're definitely going to be getting back to a Republic versus Empire core storyline, getting back to that war, revitalizing it into the core original SWOTOR conflict. Depends on how much story comes out before it, I suppose, but I would be willing to bet money that it will feature the Republic versus Imperial storyline. Alright, so the next expansion will be Pubs versus Imps, which now makes one wonder just how important was that choice we made on Iocath to side with either the Republic or Empire. Only time will tell. As for the title of this next expansion, all Eric and Charles could tell us is that it won't be another Knights of title. While Eric and Charles don't decide the title, they do have a say in it. I can only assume that anything related to calling it Hot Prospect has been shot down. So based on this information, I think we're now looking at a winter release for the expansion with an update or two this summer. In fact, in their interview with Volk, Charles and Eric confirmed that a major update is planned for July, and it will be PvP-focused. It probably won't have a new war zone, but it will have a new Mandalorian-themed arena. There will be weekly PvP events, and they may even tweak existing war zones with crazy mechanics. For example, if the Rackgul event is going on, maybe packs of Rackgulls will spontaneously spawn in the middle of a match. Now, we may not see that exact mechanic, but that's the type of thing we can expect. Also coming in July is a brand new stronghold on the planet Rishi. Now, Charles and Eric didn't tell Volk that the new stronghold would be a pirate ship, but it has to be a pirate ship, right? Charles mentioned they were playing around with some special stronghold enhancements, but wouldn't go into detail because they haven't gotten them to work quite yet, so there's a chance they won't happen in time for the Rishi stronghold. I don't know what they're cooking up, but since most strongholds have outdoor areas, I'm hoping it's a day-night cycle and changing weather. Charles also mentioned that Darkseid Jaysa should be returning soon, so there's a good chance we'll see her in July as well. One last thing they said about the Summer of Swotor is that the nightlife event will likely return, but for a shorter duration. So that's it for game update 5.10, or whatever they're going to call it. But before that comes out, we still have game update 5.9 on the horizon, and we now know a lot more about what's happening with that. Game update 5.9 is called Anathema Conspiracy, and it will bring the conclusion to the traitor storyline via a new flashpoint. 
You already knew that, but Charles and Eric gave us some more details on the Flashpoint when they talked to Volk. First, it's going to be very story-heavy. There are a lot more cinematics before, during, and after the Flashpoint. In terms of difficulty and duration, it should be on par with Capero, although they did say the story version is a little longer. Expected to take about an hour to complete. They said there are four boss encounters, and the last boss is actually two bosses that happen back-to-back. There is also one bonus boss. Now, if you're looking for reasons to keep running it after you've done the story, there are plenty of rewards to be had. Master Mode drops the schematics for the new Augments, which I'll talk about later in the show. Those schematics are BOE, so you will eventually find them on the GTN. Dropping in all modes are decorations. There's more than 15 to be had. There's a new armor set, and there's also a new companion. It's modeled after one of the ads that shoots tons of lasers. It's probably a droid of some kind. Charles wouldn't go into any detail on what happens to Theron. I personally think we'll see an option to forgive him as well as to kill him. I think his fate will be in our hands and not the stories. One thing about the story that Charles did say is that Valkorion is dead and he's not coming back. I've speculated that this might be his contingency plan in case he ever did die. That's probably not the case now. Also, in case you were curious, he mentioned that Balin is dead and not coming back as well. The Flashpoint isn't the only thing coming in Game Update 5.9. There are conquest changes, new augments, and class balance adjustments, so let's dive into all of that right now. Remember last year at this time, Galactic Command was all the rage, and I mean that in the literal sense. Bioware got that system sorted out, but nature abhors a vacuum, so fast forward to a year later, and Conquest is now the new Galactic Command. Believe it or not, Conquest is entering its fourth week under the revamped system. Changes in 5.8a helped a little, but they didn't solve all the issues, especially if you run Conquest on lots of characters. As a result, more changes are coming in Game Update 5.9. Here is what Eric Musco wrote on the forums. We hope to address concerns over the viability of completing conquests on alts, points for crafting, and ability to run operations more frequently. We are going to address this through a few different changes. Increasing point gains for objectives for repeatable and daily repeatable objectives. An additional buff for GSF, Warzone, and Flashpoint participation objectives. The Play a Flashpoint objective is being changed to Play a Flashpoint or Uprising. The Kill X Enemies daily objective will now be split into three objectives. Kill 50, 100, and 150. Additionally, progress on this objective will not reset every day. If you killed 40 enemies, it won't reset back to zero. We are going to introduce a new repeatable daily objective for completing three and five activity finder activities. Flashpoints, operations, war zones, galactic starfighter, and uprisings. We are introducing a new daily repeatable objective to defeat the final boss in an operation. We are introducing a new repeatable objective for craft 50 items. The objective gives another path for crafters to earn points and is also a mechanism for characters of any level to participate. We will monitor the number of items required to craft closely and will make changes in the future if it is too high or too low. The goal of these changes is that if you complete the bigger value one-time objectives on a given character, 
you have a lot more ability to earn points via repeatable objectives. Not only are there more objectives to work towards, they are worth more points as well. One of our goals is to encourage that you play multiple types of content and so that will always remain the most optimal path to conquest points. However, these changes will allow a player to more easily get their conquest points even if they just play one type of content on repeat. So how will this translate to the playing field? To understand the changes, you need to understand the terminology. One-time objectives can be completed once per legacy per conquest. Daily repeatable objectives are once per day per legacy, and repeatable objectives are repeatable infinitely by any character. If this all sounds like a change from how things were under the old system, this is what Eric had to say about that. The pre-5.8 conquest system worked almost identically in this regard. Objectives were either infinitely repeatable, or you could complete them one time per legacy. The only restriction change that happened with 5.8 is we added daily objectives and then shuffled around what objectives fell into what category. Technically, the system is either infinite or by legacy. There isn't actually a by character component to objectives, which may seem strange since conquest points are tracked by character, but objectives are all legacy based. Now, this could mean that when we reshuffled, we ended up with too many objectives which had legacy restrictions. That would hamper the viability of alts, which definitely seems to be the feedback we are hearing. We can continue to address that by adding more objectives, which can be infinitely repeated. This would directly mirror the alt viability of the pre-5.8 system, which was separated only by repeatable and once per legacy. Alright, this is pretty simple. I think it all comes down to PvP and operations, and specifically for operations, last boss lockouts. Now there is a new objective for killing the final boss in a group finder op, however it is once per day per legacy. In the old system this was an infinitely repeatable objective. Likewise all of the PvP related activities were also infinitely repeatable. I think what players are looking for is a return to that. Make that change and a lot of guilds will be happy. But don't expect that to happen. In his interview with Volk, Eric stated that infinitely repeatable last boss lockouts were never intended. He also said that legacy restrictions will never go away, and if future changes are needed, they'll adjust things based on objective types. Eric said the main issue with, with the Conquest revamp is they didn't have enough infinitely repeatable objectives, and they feel like that's fixed for now. One of the other complaints about Conquest is that some larger guilds were going after small yield planets, making it impossible for small guilds to win. Starting in 5.9, materials needed to craft the new augments are being added as, added as rewards from the medium and large yield planets. Eric didn't know the exact amounts other than you won't be able to craft an augment from a single conquest's worth of materials. As to the materials needed to craft these new augments, it's the same as what you use to craft the Caparo augments, only you need more of them. Now I mentioned earlier that the schematics for the new augments only drop in master mode of the Anathema Conspiracy, so just how powerful are these new augments? They are legendary quality at item rating 240, and according to Eric, the stat, stat distribution for these augments will mirror the ones which were introduced in game update 5.6 with the Capero Flashpoint. As to who should have these augments, they're primarily targeted for people who play ranked PvP and run master mode operations. Like the ones from Capero, 
They really are just nice to have and you shouldn't feel like you need to chase them down if you just run run regular war zones or story mode operations in flashpoints or are running around doing daily heroics. You'll continue to smash that content just as you are today. That's assuming, of course, you aren't one of those skank tanks who are about to get nerfed to the ground in 5.9. That's right, there are some class changes coming in game update 5.9. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about the changes. I will have links to the developer posts in my show notes, but here are the highlights. First, if you're a tank, skank, or otherwise, you are going to be doing less damage in 5.9. For those of you who don't know, a skank tank is a tank that wears DPS gear, also sometimes known as a mercenary. But yes, tanks are going to do less damage. Now, if you're wondering what that means for your threat, you needn't worry. All of the threat-generating abilities are getting buffed. You'll be able to generate and hold threat as well as you do today. You just won't do it by punching the boss really hard. If you play Marauder or Sentinel, a couple of big changes are coming your way. Specifically, the Ruthless Aggressor and Zealous Judgment utilities are changing such that they now grant a 75% increase in damage reduction for force and tech attacks. Currently, it's a 75% chance to resist all force and tech attacks. So why the big change? Here's what Eric said on the forums. Ruthless Aggressor and Zealous Judgment would create a situation where there was very little counterplay against a Marauder or Sentinel during the effect of Obfuscate or Pacify, since it created a chance to resist effects. It meant damage and crowd control were inconsistent against them. The change we are making is that instead of a 75% chance to miss, it adds 75% damage reduction. Now a Marauder or Sentinel can be crowd controlled during the effect, but it will still allow them to take greatly reduced damage. As for the other change, changes, they're all utility changes that go in the direction of improving damage reduction for various disciplines. As I said, I'll have links to those in my show notes. And one last thing on Game Update 5.9, they're adding an achievement that rewards the Darth Hexed Companion. They didn't go into details other than to say it's a multi-step achievement and it will take some work to complete. Hexed is one of my favorite companions and she'll be an awesome addition to your crew, which grew a little bit bigger for recent subscribers. Last week I talked about the Companion Chaos competition between Team Nico and Team Shay. For those who don't know, BioWare had a little social media fun on Facebook and Twitter where they organized some of our companions into two teams. One led by Nico Okar. Every year about the time I saved Theron's mom. And the other led by Shay Vizla. Every day, fans could go onto Facebook and Twitter and vote on who their favorite was in each matchup. Sergeant Rusk battled Lieutenant Pierce. Lord Scourge dueled Zalik. And Blizz and T7 tried to dismantle one another. And there were more. Ultimately, it saw Nico Okar and Shay Vizla face off against one another. Not only did Team Shay defeat Team Nico, but Shay Vizla utterly annihilated Nico Okar in their head-to-head matchup. When the competition was announced, there was no mention of any associated in-game rewards, something I questioned during the last show. It turns out there is a subscriber reward coming. In fact, depending on when you're listening to this, it may have already happened. Here is the official announcement from BioWare. In a galaxy characterized by combat and treacherous betrayals, it is important to celebrate alliances. Nothing is more important than our relationship with each other and our loyal companions. In honor of the alliances we all create with our companions, all of our premium players will receive the legendary Mandalorian leader Shay Vizla and the infamous smuggler Nico Okar 
to join your team of companions. By the way, shouldn't that be the infamous Shea Vizsla and the legendary Nico Okar? Nico rescued Satil Shan and Jace Malcolm from certain death at the hands of Darth Malgus, while Shea Vizsla literally torched the Jedi Temple during the sacking of Coruscant. And I say this as someone who is unapologetically biased towards the Empire. I think Shea Vizsla has the more villainous history here. To qualify for the reward, you needed to have an active subscription by April 3rd. Congratulations to those of you getting these companions. For those of us who already have them and are upset because we're getting nothing, I'm right there with you. Look, I'm not an elitist. I have no problem with them re-releasing these companions. Doesn't diminish anything for me. Doesn't make my having them feel any less special. If they want to do the same thing with the HK55 story in Zoom, I have no problem with that. My complaint is that as someone who already has them, there's nothing in this for me, and I like getting stuff. I don't necessarily like using stuff, the Force Veterans armor set, the HK-55 weapons, the list goes on, but I do like getting it, and I think that in addition to the companions, they should have thrown something new into the mix. Maybe Nico's hat for us to wear. I don't think that's available in the game. It'd probably look terrible because of the hair issue, but again, I don't need to use the stuff. I just need to get the stuff. If they are going to start doing more with subscriber rewards, then I think it's important that there's something new for every subscriber. I use Nico all the time, by the way. This is a pretty great reward. Every year about the time I saved Theron's mom. It's now time to continue updating you on the story project that I'm working on. What I'm attempting to do is play all eight classes and move them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon. So I've gotten through all the starter planets in the two capital worlds, Droman Kass and Coruscant. The Empire has also moved close to reclaiming Balmora, and the Republic is making good progress in their reconstruction efforts on Terrace. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips, so if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1-50 to experience, this is your cue to exit. The rest of you, I want to start with a brief recap of the story. Just as a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters. just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class, although there are certain certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female, and some of them quite good. So here is the story thus far. The Jedi Knight is trying to clean up the mess created by General Varsuthra and the Republic military. They've been working on a number of secret projects, all quite dangerous. The plans for these projects have fallen into the hands of Darth Ongrel. The Jedi Knight is on the hunt to shut down these projects and stop Ongrel once and for all. The Smuggler is on the greatest treasure hunt the galaxy has ever seen. Working with a partner named Risha, she wears the pants in this deal, by the way, the Smuggler is acquiring parts for his starship that will help him find the lost treasure of the infamous crime lord, Nock Drayan. The Republic Trooper is attempting to track down the old members of Havoc Squad who have defected to the Empire. Along the way, he's rebuilding Havoc Squad, adding Eric Jorgen and Alara Dorn as its latest members. He stopped former Havoc member Needles on Terrace, but the other members still remain at large. The Trooper is attempting to force them out of hiding by disrupting their lines of supply and channels of communication. The Jedi Consular is trying to find out just who is this mysterious Lord Vivacar. And why is he using an ancient Sith plague to poison the minds of some of the Jedi Order's most prestigious masters? 
The gifted consular has learned a shielding technique that can free the masters from this plague. The Sith warrior is on a mission to snuff out agents of Darth Barriss that are infiltrating the Republic for the Dark Lord. Barriss's longtime nemesis, Noman Carr, has a Padawan with a unique ability that threatens to blow the cover of Barriss's spies. The Sith warrior must get to Barriss's agents before it's too late. The Sith Inquisitor is trekking around the galaxy collecting artifacts that used to belong to the ancient Sith Lord, Tulak Horde. Lord Zash wants these artifacts to perform a mysterious ritual. The Sith Inquisitor is a descendant of Sith Lord Kallig, an enemy of Tulak Horde's. The spirit of Lord Kallig has warned the Inquisitor to beware of Zash. She is not what she seems. The Bounty Hunter is racing across the galaxy, pursuing targets and rivals in the Great Hunt. As if the competition of the hunt weren't enough, a Mandalorian competitor named Tara Blood is doing everything he can to see that the Bounty Hunter does not succeed. And finally, the Imperial Agent is on a mission to dismantle a terrorist cell run by a man known as the Eagle. The Eagle is responsible for the assassination of Darth Jadis, a member of the Dark Council. Complicating matters is Jadis' daughter, Darth Zorid, who now has the Agent embroiled in Sith politics. That's the story thus far. As all-out war looms closer, the Empire and Republic try to secure their standing with the greedy Hut cartel. The story now heads into new territory as the pursuits of all eight heroes bring them to the smuggler's moon, the seedy world of Nar Shaddaa. Nar Shaddaa is the first planet where all eight classes come together. Naturally, one would expect that this confluence of characters would threaten to unravel the entire tapestry of stories, should even one plot thread be told out of turn. Incredibly, this is not the case. The capital of the galactic underworld is surprisingly kind to this narrative, and the eight heroes are free to come and go in whatever order you choose. While there is a recommended play order, it is not based on chronology, but instead is dictated by the various planetary stories and how they fit with each class story. Following the recommended order is optional, although it is quite good. Like Terrace for the Republic, there isn't a single story arc for either the Empire or the Republic on Nar Shaddaa. Each zone has its own story that can be done independently of one another. For the Empire, the recommended order of play is Sith Warrior, Imperial Agent, Sith Inquisitor, and Bounty Hunter. The first zone has you helping the Empire defeat the Exchange. The Sith Warrior story starts with the Exchange trying to disrupt Darth Barriss' slaving operations on Nar Shaddaa. The second zone involves working with Imperial Intelligence to stop an uprising led by a Gendai called the Flame. This is an obvious fit for Cypher 9. The third zone has you investigating a secret vault that belonged to Darth Revan. It turns out that Revan hid a piece of technology from the Star Forge called the Infinite Engine there. It's guarded by the descendants of a group of Angri, who were once servants to Revan. The side quest blends well with the Sith Inquisitor's cult story. The final zone has you investigating a breach into a data center belonging to Kabura the Hut. With a hotshot slicer of a companion in Mako, this mission makes sense for the Bounty Hunter. 
On the Republic side, the recommended play order is Smuggler, Trooper, Jedi Consular, and Jedi Knight. The first story mission involves helping the Republic get back some of its territories and taking down a powerful gang led by a Nikto called the Mountain. This story works well with the Smuggler as there are some shady deals you can make along the way. The second zone requires you to stop the evil Dr. Charnagus, who's performing terrible experiments on kidnapped Republic soldiers who went to Nar Shaddaa for some R&R. It's the perfect job for Havoc Squad. In the third zone, there is an Imperial military leader who is systematically committing genocide against the Evokai and other non-human species. For the benevolent consular, this is right up her alley. In the final zone, the SIS wants you to rescue an imprisoned Jedi Knight named Akodomi. Surely the Jedi Knight would want to save one of his order, so it's a good mission for the Knight. That's the order of play, and it's purely based on logic. You are free to play each character in whatever order you choose. The story is just that flexible right now. And to be honest, it probably will be this way until we get to the end of Chapter 2 and into Chapter 3. Planets like Quesh, Belsavis, Hoth, Voss, and Corellia will have stricter orders of play. Now, just because the events of each story aren't commingling, doesn't mean that interesting crossovers aren't happening. Take this conversation between the Sith Warrior and Vet, where we, we learn more about Vet's past. When I was working for Noctrayan, doing the pirate thief thing, he had a daughter my age, Risha. It wasn't like Nock was super sweet to her or anything. But he'd call her princess, and I wished I was her. Having someone your own age could be great or terrible, depending. It was great. Always great. Risha was smart and strong. She knew how to do everything around the ship. And I went everywhere with her. Suddenly I had a sister again. For years it was Risha and me against the galaxy and anyone who gave us grief. Did you drift apart? Start to fight? Nothing like that. Eventually, Nock hatched some secret plan that I couldn't be a part of. One that apparently got them both killed. But for a while there, I really was happy. Risha, of course, is working with the smuggler to find Nock Drain's treasure. And it's interesting now to think that unbeknownst to either of them, Risha and Vet were likely on Nar Shaddaa at the same time. Also, when the Jedi Knight completes his mission on Nar Shaddaa, SIS agent Tander arrives with a cadre of Republic soldiers. When the Knight asks about the reinforcements, this is what Special Agent Tander tells him. This is Black Star Squad, a special operations team. General Varsuthra pulled in a favor with General Garza. Got him here quick. We're demolishing this location. Make sure the enemy can't recover anything useful. General Garza, as you know, is in charge of Republic Special Forces and is the Republic Trooper's handler and commanding officer. It's just a nice little tie-in. The biggest story moment from Nar Shaddaa also comes from the Jedi Knight's story. The Knight is sent to an abandoned mining colony in deep space, where he hopes to bring Admiral Hacklin, one of Darth Ongrel's closest advisors, into custody. It is believed that Hacklin wants to defect. It turns out to be a trap, and we learn that Kira Carson was once trained to be a Sith and is a child of the Emperor. They immediately head to Tython to inform the Jedi Council and seek their guidance. We've heard rumors about these children of the Emperor before, but this finally confirms their existence. Troubling that we never sense the truth about Kira, and Master Kuix brought her to us. 
That makes her especially dangerous. She can't be allowed to remain free. Kira's master should have a voice in this. What do you recommend? I brought her to you because I wasn't sure what to do. Our path is clear. The girl is dangerous. She lied to us. To allow her to remain a Padawan, become a Jedi Knight? It's inconceivable. Is it? Did we not first learn of the children of the Emperor from a Sith turned to the light? Master Braga speaks the truth. No one is beyond redemption. The cool moment here is seeing Seo Bakarn. This is the first time we've seen Seo at one of the Jedi Knights Council meetings. As we'll find out later in the Jedi Consular story, Master Bakarn is actually the first child of the Emperor. That's it for Nar Shaddaa. Our heroes are now all headed to Tatooine and then Alderaan. While the order of play is free-flowing for now, it will soon start to get a little stricter, starting with the smuggler. Can't wait to meet the buyer of that severed head. Then I recommend setting course for Alderaan first. Let me know when we're there. I'll have more to say about that mysterious head when we get to Alderaan, but first, Tatooine. Final note for today, if you're looking for information about the game, whether it's classes, stories, things to do, and even tech support, my good friend Swodarista has compiled the ultimate guide of guides. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but it's an amazing collection of how-tos and pro tips created by our, our amazing Swotor community. Nice work, Swotorista, and everyone involved. And that's going to do it for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 73 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 74 sometime next week. I've been crazy busy lately. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Cake is alive.